Well, in this series that I've titled, Who is God? We're looking at different attributes of God according to Scripture. Again, attributes or character, the character and the characteristic of who one claims to be and, and who they are. And so we're looking at the character and characteristics of who God is based in Scripture. And last week, if you were here or, or listened, I talked about the idea of what's called non-communicable attributes and communicable attributes. And just as a refresher in Carl's seminary course, let me remind us that non-communicable attributes are those that are ones that represent who God, that, that are who God is, but of which we will never come close to developing in ourselves. We will never be all-knowing. We will never be everywhere like God is. Those are non-communicable attributes that, that are who God is, but but not who we are. Then there's also communicable attributes that are attributes of God, character and characteristics of God, that we can understand because we can develop, though very minimally, similar attributes. For instance, God is love. God is merciful. God is gracious. God is compassion. We can understand those, and we can develop similar attributes, though much less. Most people understand who God is by his communicable attributes, like love, compassion, mercy, grace, forgiveness. But what makes God so holy and so other are those non-communicable attributes, the ones we will never hope to develop in ourselves. We'll never be all-knowing. We'll never be in every place fully at all times. Those are the characteristics that allow God to be God. That allow God to be the God that regardless of things going on in our lives, God remains unchanged and mighty and holy and worthy of honor because God is so different. So removed yet so near. And his holiness is seen in those attributes that we will never come close to. And so towards that end, and looking at one of those other characteristics of something we will never come close to, I need to ask you this question in considering who is God? Do you want a God who is able to do anything? You feel like I'm going to trick you? Is that why nobody wants to say anything? Probably online, everybody's, everybody's ask, you know, answering the questions. But let me just ask the question again. Do you want a God who is able to do anything? Because what's the alternative, right? A God like me and you? Uh, that's no. And, and so the attribute I want to look at this morning is a thing called omnipotent. God is omnipotent. Now, omnipotent comes from the Latin omni, which is all, and potent, which is power. So omnipotent means, more accurately, the one who is all-powerful. See, to suggest a God, I suggest to you that a God who is not all-powerful is much easier to understand. Because if God is able to do anything... We have to ask the question, just logically, if we want a God who is able to do anything, and God is able to do anything, can God then also be all good? Here's the problem. 
If God is able to do anything, and if God is all good, wouldn't God then have to prevent evil? If God is able to do anything, and God is all good, wouldn't that able to do anything God, who is all good, have to, by necessity, prevent evil? If God is able to do anything, think about it for just a moment. If God is able to do anything, can God make a perfectly square circle? Now, you just said you wanted a God who could do anything. Do you want a God who can create a perfectly square circle? Or the question that was wrestled when I was in adolescence, can, is God all, can he do anything? And if so, can God make a rock so big and so heavy, God can't pick it up? Because if God can do anything and God can make a rock so big and so heavy, he can't pick it up, he's not, he can't do anything. But if God can do anything, but he can't make a rock so big and so heavy, he can't pick it up, then also he cannot therefore then do anything. So how important is you that you have a God who can do anything? It seems from a logical standpoint that the idea of omnipotence is not possible. You understand? So do you want a God who can do anything? I want to suggest to you this. That omnipotence does not mean that God can do anything. But God is all-powerful. And there's a profound difference. There's a profound difference. Now think. Nothing of what I say means anything if it's not in the Bible. Okay? So our standard for truth our standard for everything is not what I think, it's not what you think. You shouldn't care what I think because I don't care what you think. So our standard is the Bible. So according to the Bible, I suggest this. There are many things God cannot do. Think about it. If you want a God who can do anything, the Bible says there are many things God cannot do. For instance, God cannot deny himself. God cannot lie. God cannot accept a bribe. God cannot show favoritism to the poor nor the uh, rich. God cannot be tempted by evil. So do you want a God who can do anything? Let me put it this way. God cannot contract a virus or get infected how would the ability for god to do anything including contracting every virus make him more powerful you understand so what does it mean for god to be omnipotent we have to be very clear about what the bible says god is and indicates about god now the word omnipotent is not in the original Bible. By original Bible, I mean the original languages. The word omnipotent is in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, verse 6, in the King James Version. And the reason is the King James Version was put together in 1611. And the Bible says in the King James Version, in Revelation 19, 6, the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. The actual Greek 
is the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. And so what happened is that in the, those who were putting together what we know as the King James Bible, Bible in 1611, understood this almighty God as the all-powerful one. And in Latin, it is omnipotent. And so they translated the almighty to be omnipotent. But it means literally almighty, in essence, all-powerful. Origin of Alexandria, who was an early church father, a scholar, an ascetic, he is the first one to use the word omnipotent in reference to God in 225 BC. But the Bible says that God is the Almighty One, all powerful, not able to do anything. See, here's what we have to understand about our God He is omnipotent, but that does not mean He can do anything. Omnipotent means literally he is all-powerful. Here's the difference. The difference between doing anything and being all-powerful, doing anything means that God can then therefore create a two-sided triangle. Do you understand? What is a two-sided triangle? But if God could do anything, it means therefore that God could make one plus one equal three. If God can do anything, it means that God could then therefore make a married bachelor. If God could do anything. See, here's the problem. Just because we can string words together does not make the impossible possible. A miracle is something God desires to do that is possible in the scope of reality. A two-sided triangle is not possible within the scope of reality. A square circle, a circle with four equal sides with four right triangles is not possible in the scope of reality. And, and, and so we have to be very careful that just because we can string words together does not mean that it's possible. In other words, well, just because you can string words together, all that gives you is the ability to make a contradiction. So when we say God can do anything, what we're saying is that God can now make a contradiction, which God cannot, because God is not a contradiction. When I was in my undergrad, taking a philosophy of religion course, I had a professor ask us this very question. And he said, if you believe God can do anything, can God then make a rock so big he can't pick it up? Which was, you know, what we'd, as a young person trying to follow Christ and make sense of this, that was always the question. And it's been so interesting uh, as, as I've studied this in, for years in the past, and even just recently reminded myself of this, there are so many people that in great arrogance uh, would say, I'm going to prove to you God doesn't exist. Because if God is all-powerful like you say, he should be, if God is omnipotent like you say, he should be able to make a rock so big he can't pick it up. If he could make a rock so big he can't pick it up, he's not omnipotent. If he can't make a rock so big he can't pick it up, he's not omnipotent. Therefore, I've just proved to you God doesn't exist. And they say it with such arrogance. Here's the problem. Here's the problem with all those questions. And this is the way my professor put it to me. He said, do you believe God can rebaha rebahaber? And we're like, well, we haven't taken Greek or Hebrew yet, but I don't feel like that's a thing. And so it just answer my question. Can God rebafar rebahaver? Like, well, 
You, all you did was string letters together. He said, that's what you're asking. And the question, can God make a rock so big he can't pick it up? It's a nonsense. There's no scope. Just because you can put words together in a sentence does not mean it has the possibility of being possible. Do you understand? So the question is not, and it has never been, can God do anything? The question is a question of power. What power does God possess? At the end of the day, you and I don't really want to know if God can do anything, because what do we care if God can make a square circle or a two-sided triangle? Do you care? But do you care if he has the power to do all he desires to do in your life? We want to know power. We don't want to know possibility. Do you understand? Same thing with God. When, when, uh, when my middle son was young, Caleb, we would wrestle and we would play football and just do, you know, father-son stuff. And Caleb's question was always, did you try your hardest? Whenever I would let him win, did you try your hardest? Yes, son, we were wrestling and you pinned me. And I know you're four, but I tried my hardest. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? It, would all, every, it didn't matter what it was. The question always was, did you try your hardest? Why? Because he's not interested in his potential. He's interested in power. I got to know, how powerful am I and how powerful are you? And so what's important with God is not if he can make a square circle, a two-sided triangle, or a married bachelor. God is concerned, and his attribute has to do with power to do, not potential. God is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. And what that means for me and you is this, that he is able to do everything he wills to do, that there is no power greater than God. There is no source greater than God. There is no person, entity, or system greater than God. That he is all-powerful, he is omnipotent, and he has the power to do whatever he wills to do. That's omnipotent. Now let me be clear. Because we have to understand this about God. Omnipotent means all-powerful. And God is omnipotent. That means he has the power to do whatever God wills to do, whatever is in line also with his character. He can do whatever he wills to do. Now, Psalm 115.3. The writer of Psalm agrees with this, and he says this. Our God in heaven, he does whatever what? Pleases him. Whatever makes him happy, whatever brings him pleasure, whatever it, it, it emphasizes him. He does whatever he chooses. So this idea of omnipotent, though the word isn't in the actual text of scripture, where does the, all, the idea come from? Omnipotent comes from the name almighty. All might. He is all powerful. 
And if you were here with us last week or listened online, we talked about this very thing, that the name of God at creation is Elohim, which means literally the almighty one, the one with all power. See, we see God's omnipotence. We see God's ability to do all God wills to do first at creation. In Genesis 1 verse 3, the Bible says, and God, the almighty one, Elohim at creation said, let there be light and there was light. Why was there light? Because the almighty one desired that there be light. Why was there light? Because the all-powerful one chose that there would be light. Why was there light? Because the omnipotent God who does everything he wills to do willed that there would be light. God spoke and the universes came into being because he is the almighty, omnipotent God. Now, here's, here's how different God is than us. God spoke and at the beginning there was nothing and God spoke and something became. Now, let me show you how different he is than us. Now, now, this is important because more often than not, we think that we, are, we know how life ought to go. And if we had all power, we might do things differently than God. And sometimes he just needs to listen to us to understand how life should go. Here's I'm going to prove to you how he is more powerful than us and we shouldn't question his hand. Here's what I want you to do. Just hold out your empty hand. Just hold it out. Okay? Now, think. That's what God started with in creation, right? And he spoke. And things happened, right? So, so, so let's just compare him and us. You also, like God, have an empty hand. So what I want you to do right now, you don't have any substance to work. What I want you to do right now is create a light bulb. Go ahead. No, no, no. Just, just keep your hand there. Because after all, you and I both believe at times that we know better and we do better than the Almighty God. And if that's true, he spoke and something happened with nothing. So you go ahead. It's your turn. Make a light bulb. Anybody? Why? What? Why? Because why? Because you're not almighty. You're not omnipotent. You understand? If any of you could create a light bulb, then my challenge would be this. Turn it on. Matter of fact, if I take one of these and unscrew this thing, let's just do this. John, come here. Come here. John's a pretty smart guy. You don't have to hold your hand out like that anymore. John's a pretty smart guy. There are times probably when you, maybe in your past, John, it felt like you knew more than God. You know, like if... It, like if, if, if God will listen to you, you could probably direct stuff a little differently, go a little bit better, yeah. right? And so, so I've already created this light bulb for you. <laughs> and because you are as powerful as God, as God, oftentimes, you know as much as he does. Hold it. I'll turn it on. Can I use both hands? You can use both hands. <laughs> why, why is there nothing coming out? I tried my best. Did you? <laughs> okay, go screw back in there and don't electrocute yourself. The reason is because you're not omnipotent. You're not all powerful. God is. And God's desire was to create light. He spoke and there it was. Why? Because he is omnipotent. It doesn't mean he can do anything and make a square circle. It does mean he can create light out of nothing. That's his desire. Notice what the Bible says. Psalm 33, 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. See, the Bible understands God's power and his might. 
Job is the one who spoke of God's almighty power when he said, I know you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. No plan of yours. Nothing you desire to do will not be done because you desire to do it because you are almighty. God's omnipotence to carry out his plans. This is why the angel told Mary, with God, all things are possible. In other words, he said, God will do all the things he wants to do, like make a virgin, have a baby. That was within his desire, and he has all power to do whatever he wants to do. This is why God reminded Moses, that God has all power to complete his purposes. Numbers 11 says, is God's arms too short? What I say will come true will come true because it's within my desire and my scope. I can do whatever I choose to do. God says, I am omnipotent. I am almighty. It's who I am. And God first declared himself to be omnipotent, all powerful in Genesis 17. And in Genesis 17, God says of himself, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am, what? God Almighty. In other words, I am the God of all power and I will do everything I desire to do. Then he tells Abram, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You'll be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. Notice the context in which God displays his omnipotence. Again, notice the context in which God displays his omnipotence. The first thing God says to do to Abram is walk before me, walk with me. He says, there is this thing between me and you that you have to enter into. It is called a relationship. Walk with me and walk before me. When you walk with me and walk before me, then he says, I want you to be blameless. Now, right there, if we don't understand what God is saying by blameless, every one of us thinks, well, I'm out. Never been blameless, don't hope to be. But what God says in the Hebrew, that word blameless means to be unmixed and unimpaired. In your devotion towards me, be unmixed in your devotion. In your, in your devotion towards me, be unimpaired. James would echo these same words when he says that person who wants a relationship with God should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person who is not singularly devoted, but double-minded is unstable in all they do. Here's what he says. When you walk with me in relation, be unmixed. In other words, God desires unmixed devotion, not perfection. Praise God for that. He doesn't want you to be perfect. He just wants you to love him with unmixed motives. David in the Old Testament, King David, the Bible says was a man after God's own heart. And David was a wretch of a man. David had all kinds of girl problems. All kinds of family problems. All kinds of murder problems. And yet David was a man after God's own heart. Why? Because it's not that David was perfect. He was just perfectly devoted. And so even in sin, he was quick to repent. Praise God. Because now I know that I can have a relationship with God and not have to try to be perfect, but be perfectly devoted. And when I sin, be quick to repent. And because of that, the Almighty, the all-powerful one, makes me a promise. Just like he did Abram. 
to greatly increase your numbers. That's what he said to Abraham. This is what it means. To abundantly make rich, to abundantly make much of which I lack according to his desires for my life. That when I walk with him in relationship and I have an unmixed devotion towards him, he has the ability then as the Almighty to make abundantly much in me of that which I lack according to his desires. So here's what it means. It means that God shows his omnipotence, his power to do whatever he desires to do in me. So powerful is God that God can make nations from a childless couple. So powerful is God that he can make two people who are way past childbearing age to have a baby. Now, now look at what he says. God looks at Abram and he says, I have made you a father of nations. That's what he says. I have made you. Now, for those of you who took Shelley Ross junior high English course at RMS, we know that the English language has tenses, past tense, future tense, present tense. When God says to Abram, I have made you the father of nations, what tense is that? I have made you. Past tense, right? It could be present tense because I am making you, absolutely. But it also means past tense, I have made you. Here's the problem. When God first told Abraham, I will make you the father of nations, 25 years before this passage ever happened. Way back in Genesis 12, God told Abraham, I will make you the father of nations. 25 years later in Genesis 17, he says, I have made you. What had God done in those 25 years? Question, how many kids did Abraham and Sarah have when God said, I have made you the father of nations? Zero. Now, Abram had a kid named Ishmael through a maidservant of Sarah, but that was a big no-no, as oftentimes those things are. And ever since, those two children have been fighting in the world. But as of Abraham and Sarah, he had zero kids when God said, I have made you. How could God say, I have made you, when Abraham and Sarah had no kids? Here's why. Because God had made a promise And it was his desire, and he is all-powerful to do what he says he will do regardless of what the reality looks like. Has God ever made a promise to you and left some things undone? Has God ever made a promise and there's something? Here's the thing. Sometimes God gives his people a word but leaves things undone. Why? To create space for the Almighty to do something that only the Almighty can do. Omniscient means he's strong enough to get it done even when it doesn't look like it's going to get done. Here's why omnipotent God is so important. Because when I've got an almighty omnipotent God, I've got an absolute in a world of variables. And right now, we've got a world of variables. You understand? Because God is omnipotent. It means that what God wills to do is already done even if it doesn't look like it. What God wills to do is already done. God says, I have made you, Abraham. Abraham looks around and says, but I ain't got no kids. And God says, but I have made you. See, there's this little word called proleptic. And what God was saying is proleptically, I have spoken into existence the reality of what you don't see yet. In other words, it's done, you just can't see it. It's done, it's just not present yet. It has been completed, but it's time in your life hasn't yet appeared. It's done in fact, but not in experience. Don't doubt the almighty, omnipotent, all-powerful God when he says, As this thing is so, it is so, even if you can't perceive it. Because he is omnipotent. 
Do you understand? This is what an omnipotent one does. Nothing is beyond the ability of what the omnipotent wills to do. Nothing is beyond the ability of what the omnipotent wills to do. Some of you. Some of you are sitting here right now. And who you are right now is very different than who you used to be. And there are people in your life who I guarantee you would look at you back who you used to be and say there is no way in hell. There's no way. That man ain't never changing. That, that person is so far, there is no way. And do you know why some of you are here now who you are now? Because after what you've been then? Because God is omnipotent and has the ability to do whatever he desires to do. And he's desired you from before you were born. And he had the desire to will you into him. Do you understand? That's why you're here. Because you have an omnipotent, all-powerful God who does everything he wills to do. Now here's the important part for, for me and you. Here's the important part right here. God's omnipotent, almighty power is only on display in the midst of vacancy. God's omnipotent, almighty power is only on display in the midst of vacancy. And this is why this is so difficult for us. Because every, everything in our lives wants to limit vacancies. We don't want to be without a job. We don't want to be without money. We don't want to be without a relationship. We don't want to be without our kids. We don't want to be without a, a husband or wife. We don't want to be without a future. We don't want to be without hope. We don't want to be without a 401k. We don't want to be without... All, everything in our lives means that we want to minimize vacancies. Here's the problem. God's omnipotent, almighty power is only on display in the midst of vacancies. And so what we want, we just said at the beginning, is a God who can do anything. And in our mind, anything means lessen my vacancies. The moment we lessen our vacancies, God says, you have just lessened me out of your life. So we want an omnipotent God. We want an all-powerful God, but we don't want any holes. And the only way the omnipotent God shows up is when there are holes. Think about it. Creation. There was Nothing. And then there was. At the feeding of the 5,000, there was how much food? No food. And then there were 12 baskets left over. At Lazarus' tomb, at, the, at Jairus' daughter's death, there was death. And then there was life. Why? Because there was a vacancy that allowed the almighty, omnipotent, all-powerful God to show up and fill the vacancy. So here's the problem. If you are working and all your prayer is God, get rid of the vacancy, fill the vacancy, get rid of the vacancy, fill the vacancy, God has no room to show up as the almighty one. You understand? Yeah. Now here's the flip side of that. If you have those holes in your life, if you have those vacancies in your life, if you have those missing things in your world, you're in a perfect position because you have at your ready an omnipotent, almighty, all-powerful God who can do everything he wills to do in the midst of that vacancy. But he says, I want you to walk with me. And I want you to have wholehearted devotion towards me. And then I will fill those vacancies to overflow. That's what he says. Now to him, the omnipotent, almighty, all-powerful God, who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine, according to his power, to his power that is at work where? According to his power, that is at work where? 
If I walk in relationship with God, with wholehearted, unmixed devotion towards God, he is then free to use that incredible, omnipotent, all-powerful power that's already at work within me to fill every one of those vacancies that only he can fill. Let me tell you the problem with this whole thing. Let me tell you the problem with this whole thing. Not the fact that I talk too fast and it's a hard concept to grasp. Let me tell you the problem with this whole thing. This is our problem. Our angst is not that God's desires won't be done. There are very few people in this place, there are very few people, listen to me, who stay up late at night, who are sleepless, who go to the bottle, who get all worked up, stressed, because they're so worried that God's desires won't be done. Very few of us have sleepless nights just worried, oh Lord, please do your will. Oh Lord, please do your will. Oh Lord. No, no. Here's our problem. Our angst, what causes us sleepless nights and turmoil and stress and worry and to hit the bottle time and time and time again is that we're concerned that our desires won't be done by him. That's true. Do you understand? You're not driven to drink because you're afraid God's will won't be done. You're driven to drink because you're so worried, concerned, and depressed that your desires aren't done. You don't lose your temper because God's will isn't done. You lose your temper because you're feared you're not going to get your will done. That's our problem. And the reason is, here it is, because we're not convinced that God's desires are for our best. See, if we really figured that God's desires were for our best, our greatest desire was that his will would be done. And then we would live with assurance that he is all-powerful. And whatever his desires is, will be done. Do you understand? Do you understand? And the reason we don't really believe that his desires are for our best It's because at the end of the day, we question and doubt his love. See, think about it for a minute. Jesus, being God, we talked about that last week, had power to call 12 legions of angels to rescue him during his false and fake trials. Yet he offered himself in humility in our place. Though he had the power to call down 12 legions of angels to come rescue him, he offered himself in humility. Why is this so significant? Here's why. Because God's desire was to have a relationship with humankind. God's desire was to have a relationship with me, and God's desire was to have a relationship with you. That was his desire. And God's desire culminated in God Almighty sending his son to earth, God in the flesh to die on the cross. His desire was to offer us a way for forgiveness out of our sin. The fact that God Almighty, the omnipotent one, the almighty one, the all-powerful one, would humble himself, laying aside power over life and taking up to exert power over death makes the realization of his love for you even more profound because he could have done it any other way. If his desire was a relationship with you, he could have worked that out any other way he chose. Because we've already seen that whatever he desires, he does. And if he would desire a relationship with you and me, he could have done that any way he chose. Because he has all power. But the fact that he chose with all power at his disposal as the omnipotent God to cause his son to die on a cross for your sins ought to prove once and for all how much he loves you. With all power at his disposal. He used his son's life. What makes us doubt his love? 
And if he wasn't willing to spare his own son, if God wasn't willing to spare his own son, how much more is he willing to give us? Do you understand? With all power at his disposal, he wasn't willing to even spare from you his very son. How much more, the Bible says, is he willing to give us? And so here's the question I'm left with. Not the question, can God make a rock so big he can't pick up? That makes no sense to me. I don't even care about that. Here's the question I'm left with. Why would I deny his leadership in my life any longer? Why would I deny it any longer? See, the greatest attack on God's omnipotence is to reject his rule. The greatest attack on God's omnipotence is for you to reject his rule in your life. In great humility. Because he is the almighty. Invite him to rule your world. He is the Almighty. In great humility, invite him to rule your world. In the rule and the reign of God over your life is such beauty and such safety. Why would you wait any longer? Do you understand? He is the omnipotent one. And he loves you. And of all the ways he could prove his love to you, he chose his son. I want you to pray with me. Father, thank you. Thank you that all power is yours. Thank you that nothing of your desire is outside the scope of your ability. Thank you that you've loved us so much that of all the ways you could have done it, you chose to do it through the life of your son. Thank you that every one of your desires for us and every one of your word for us cannot be thwarted. Father, there are times that we believe we know best. There are times that we believe if you would do it our way, it would go so much better. There are times that we believe that you aren't really trustworthy and that perhaps your desire is not for our best. Forgive us. In humility, we come before you. Remind us that you are God and we are not. In this moment, just keep your eyes closed. I want to give you the opportunity to invite this omnipotent, almighty, all-powerful God to rule your life and for you to respond to the love he's already proven to you that he has for you. So I'd invite you in this moment in, the, in your own words to say something like God. I confess that you are the Almighty One. And I admit I've broken your perfect law. And I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. 
as much as I know how, I want to walk with you. And as much as I know how, I want to have an unmixed devotion for you. And then tell him, God, that's my part. I'm counting on you for your part. I got vacancies and I got holes. I got things in my life that I am powerless to do. And because you are omnipotent, and because you are almighty, and because you have all power in relationship with you, I'm asking you to do what only you can do, which is fulfill your perfect desire for my life. You are the great I am. You are the almighty one. And this morning, in humility, I give myself to you. Amen.